Welcome to part four of our walk through Romans. We're really excited to have you with us today. We've been going through this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. There's so much in this letter. It's such a, such a very dense letter. And, and we want to kind of talk about that for a few minutes. Paul wrote the very first part of this. He wrote to the believers there in Rome. He had not visited them yet. And he wrote to them because there were both Jews and Gentiles there. There was confusion. There was, you know, some confusion on the place of Jews and Gentiles and how they fit together and what it looked like. So Paul gave some very basic theology and kind of shared the gospel with them, putting it in the right context, helping them to understand what it means. Because the Messiah came from the Jews, they, they kind of felt like they had a special priority and Paul said, yes, you are blessed of God, but you're no different than the Gentile because God saved both Jew and Gentile because it's our faith. That's what we learned about since we started this, that it's about our faith, not about what we've done. It's not the works that we've done that saves us. It's putting our faith in Jesus. It's our putting our trust in God. And that's the, that's the hard part, right, is getting that figured out. Now, yes, we want to do good works. We want to represent Jesus well. We want to live the way he called us to live. But it starts first with our faith. And we're going to continue this uh, conversation and how faith and works work together and what it looks like when we follow Jesus. So Paul kind of jumps in by first comparing Adam and Jesus. So I put the first point today, Adam versus Jesus. And, and I don't want you to get in your mind like this big cage match or anything. It's not this, this competition between Adam and Jesus, but really it's more of a compare and contrast of the things that Adam did and what it, how it affected us as humanity and the things that Jesus did and continues to do and how that affects us. So that's what I want to look at. And so we're going to start with Adam first, and we're in Romans chapter 5. So if you want to flip over there, you can look, there's, there's the Bible verses are on your screen, or you can look them up however you read scripture. So Romans 5, 12 through 14, we're in the New Living Translation. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey any explicit command of God, as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. So I want to take a second and just talk about what we've learned about Adam from just this small section. First thing. Through Adam, sin entered the world. If you go back to the beginning, you go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve were the first humans that God created. He created Adam first. And in the garden, they walked with God. We don't know how long that was, but he, they walked with God. They were in relationship with God. God counted them as a friend. He was their creator. And he gave them one very simple instruction. Don't eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that tree that was in the center of the garden. And we know that Satan came in and, and began to deceive Eve and, and Adam as well, and, and they ended up eating the fruit. And that's when sin entered the world. That's when they realized that they had lost some relationship with God because sin came into the world. 
when Adam sinned, it brought sin into the world, but it also brought death, not just to him, but to everyone. Now life had an end. Death was there. Sin brought death. Now they didn't die immediately, but it was something that that was there. We don't know how many years after Adam's sin that Jesus came, but everyone that followed, even before Moses and there was a law, they still died. There was still death because of that sin. And Adam is a representative of all mankind. Through Adam, we have all sinned. Yeah, it's, it's a reality. You say, well, I, because Adam's sin doesn't mean I'm sinned. We've all sinned. And that's kind of the point of, of Romans chapter 3. We've talked about it. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We, we've all put our wants and our needs before God and before others. And we've sinned. So then we look at Jesus. And, and in verses 15 through 19, it kind of gives us a little snapshot of what Jesus has done. And we're going to go a little deeper into it as we go along. But let's look at verse 15. It says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So what did we receive through Jesus? What did Jesus do when he died on the cross, when he came? We know he's fully God and fully man. And, and Paul is relating this in the terms. Remember, the Greek culture was very, very defined. It was the prominent culture of that time, and he's relating things in a way that the Greek culture would understand, both Jews and Gentiles. And what we receive through Jesus is God's grace, his forgiveness, the true gift of righteousness. And we talked about righteousness last week, to be made right in right relationship with God. That's what God wanted from the very beginning. He created us to be in relationship. The perfect place of that was the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. They were in right relationship with God. God walked with them. They were friends. It was a completely different relationship, one that we've never understood, one that we've never fully fathomed, but we've spent the rest of our lives trying to get back there. And God's plan of Jesus is what brings us back into that right relationship. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see what that really looks like. So we have God's grace. We have the gift of righteousness and then triumph over sin and death. Through what Jesus did, sin and death no longer have power over our lives. Yes, we will physically die one day. We are mortal. But it's not a spiritual death. It's not the end. We will live forever with God in heaven. 
co-heirs with Christ, we don't even understand what it means. It's too big, too great for us to understand. But that is the promise, that is the hope, that is what Jesus has done for us. Verse 16 tells us that though our sins are many, we've been made right with God through our faith in Jesus. That's where we've got to get. This is the core of the gospel. That God loves his creation so much that he came as a man and died for us so that when we put our faith in him, we will live forever with him. It's out of love. And that's why so much of what Jesus talked about, so much of what the Gospels talk about is loving others so that we can help them to see the love of God as well, to care about the people that are around us. What Adam did in the garden led to condemnation for everyone. What Jesus did on the cross led to salvation for all who believe, freedom. That's what led Paul to talk about the purpose of the law. Because if you remember, it said, hey, before the law, people still sinned. They just didn't, it didn't kind of give them, they didn't know what it was. But the purpose of the law you find in verses 20 and 21, it says God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In order for us to truly understand how far from God we have drifted, we needed the law to be a mirror to show us what was happening. Show us what was happening inside of us. That's, what, that's what's so awesome about this. The law, we think that the law is this thing that we've got to follow to the letter, which really it's, it's what keeps us in right relationship with God in that sense before Jesus, but none of us could do it. The law just showed us that we were broken, that we couldn't follow that law. That we, it was impossible. Our sinful nature didn't, didn't allow us to do it. That's why when Jesus comes, and through the work that he did on the cross, by his grace we've been made right when we put our faith in him. That's what I was talking about. It's not about our works. It's not about how good we are because we can't do it on our own. It was through our faith in Jesus, which leads us to be united with Jesus, which is our second point today. And we're going to jump into chapter 6. I know we cover a lot of scripture in this, but I want you to see these, this is a whole picture, which is why we take such large chunks, because I want you to see the whole of it. And we're to be united with Jesus because of what Jesus did, because of how he died on the cross and, and then rose again in that forgiveness, he has made a way for us to be united with him. So look at verses 1 through 11. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of this wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Christ in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. 
When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, and now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now, Paul gives us a great picture. Many of us are visual. So he gives us a picture representation, a visual representation of what that looks like through baptism. I've had people ask me, why do I have to be baptized? Why should I be baptized? Baptism is not a prerequisite to faith. It's not a prerequisite to salvation. It is a visual representation, an outward sign of what God has done on the inside. But here's why it is so important. When we are baptized, when we are dunked under the water, we're saying, I am dead to my old life. I'm dead to sin. And I'm raised to new life with Christ. That's what that baptism represents. And that's why it's an important step. And Jesus did the same thing. He went and modeled that. John the Baptist said, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus said, I need to do this. Because one, it's written, it's prophesied that I will. But as an example, this is what it represents. That's why we, when, you, when you come to faith in Jesus, you should get baptized. It's, it's that outward proclamation of what God's done on the inside. We're dead to sin and alive to Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried, it was because of our sin. He did it for our sin as a sacrifice. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the grave. That is our hope in the resurrection. That's Easter. Just a few short weeks we'll be at Easter. That's the whole point, is that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again, and it's that same Holy Spirit, that same promise that's available for us. We're united with Christ in His death. Our sins are buried. They have no longer any power over our lives. They do not count against us for all of eternity because of what Jesus has done. When we put our faith in Him, not because we're good people, but because we've put our faith in Him. That's what that illustrates. That's what we're baptizing. That's why Paul starts the section, should we keep on sinning? The answer is no. Yes, it, it, it says, yeah, the, God's grace is bigger and bigger to cover the sin, but we shouldn't sin just to show God's grace. That's ludicrous. That's absurd. Paul uses that example over and over again in the scripture. We're going to see it in just a few minutes. As followers of Jesus, we should strive to honor him. We should strive to live our lives as he lived. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be Christ-like. That's where the word Christian came from, to be Christ-like. That means the one sinful or the one sinless man that ever walked the earth, Jesus, he's our example. He's what we should strive after. We should love and care for others the way that he did. We should be drawing people towards him, and we do that by living out our lives the way he lived them out. Yes, we still stumble, we still fall, we still sin, and God's grace is big to cover that. But our goal should be to put that sinful nature aside and to follow Jesus, and that's what we strive after. It's not to be perfection for perfection's sake. It's not to, to show people how good we are. It's that out of who we are, the Holy Spirit changes the way we think, changes the way we act, so that we look more like Jesus. Which our last point today is, and Paul kind of relates it this way, because we still struggle, is that we're all slaves. What does that mean? 
we're all slaves. I'm not a slave to anybody. I, I'm a free person. I live in America. No one controls me. I make my own decisions. Well, before you jump down that rabbit hole, why don't you look at what Paul says in the rest of chapter 6. We're going to look at 12 through 23. It says, Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching we have given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin. You have become slaves to righteousness. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul used the illustration of slavery. And again, slavery had a much different feel or tone in that time period. We, we tend to relate it to our history as America, which was a terrible example of, of slavery. It was horrible and hideous. But in a lot of ways, the slavery of that time in Rome was more indentured servants, people that had found themselves in debt or could not afford things. They would basically become servants or slaves to wealthy merchants and landowners and do the work there. And basically, it was like a job and, and they were provided for in that and they would pay off their debt to become free and to be able to go own their own businesses and, and things, but they were working off that debt. But we're all slaves to something. We're all slaves to what we choose to obey, what we choose to focus, what we choose to put our minds to. And, and when we focus on ourselves and the sinful nature, we become slave to it. We'll do anything to accomplish what we want to, no matter what it does or hurt or how it hurts other people. We become a slave to that mindset. When he says we are to become slaves to God, it's not in the sense where we have no will or, or ability to do anything on our own. God gave us free will. But we're saying, look, we are choosing to obey God. We're choosing to follow what he's asked us to do. And we're going to strive after that with everything that's in us. We're going to strive to live the way he's asked us to live. And we become a slave to that in the sense that that's our drive. It's our motivation. It's what we want to do. Because we want to honor God with our lives. He just uses it as an illustration. Remember, at the very core of sin is selfishness. It's, it's 
our desire to do whatever we want, no matter what God says or no matter how it hurts other people. Think about, think about a drug addict. I think this is an easy illustration to use. But think about a drug addict. They may, in and of themselves, may not be somebody that would ever hurt anybody. They may not be somebody that would ever steal or take anything from anybody else. But because of their addiction, they become a slave to their addiction. And it so controls them that they, they will rob somebody. They will hurt somebody just to be able to either get the money that they need to buy the drugs or to get the drugs themselves. They'll even sell their own bodies. They'll do things that they would never normally do because they're a slave to that addiction. That's kind of the mindset that's there. That's kind of the idea behind this. Some of us are slaves to our debt. Some of us are slaves to, to our vehicles. We got to make those payments. We got to do all that. You can see how that works. We want to be slaves to the righteousness of God. We want to follow after Him. We want to do everything in our power to live in a way that honors God. That shows His love and grace for others. So Paul uses that illustration. Think about it this way. When we live sinful lives, when we're slaves to sin, we do things to hide it. We don't want people to see it. We lie and deceive to get what we want. And we tell ourselves we lie and deceive because we don't want to hurt others. But really, you're hurting them and yourself. So we become slaves to those things. We want to be slaves to Christ. We want to be slaves to righteousness. We choose to obey Jesus. We choose to follow Him in that way. So what does it look like for us to do that? As followers of Jesus, we begin to change from the inside out. That's really how this happens. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 down to, to 5 too. This kind of explains this process a little bit. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Christ Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus forgave you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma 
to God. We are to be imitators of Jesus. I know that was a long passage, but I, I, I really wanted you to see, man, we've got to get rid of those things that lead to death, to that sinful nature, the, the greed, the lust, all of those things. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts so that we can become like Jesus, so that we can be imitators of Him, that we can show love and respect to everybody that's around us, even people that want to hurt us, even people that, that are out to do wrong. We can show them love and respect. We can care for those that are hurting around us. And that's what God has called us to do. It starts by the renewing of our mind, allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our mind. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about Romans chapter 12, which is my favorite chapter in Romans. But there's a passage in there, Romans 12 too, that says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, to allow the Holy Spirit to change the way you think. That is the single hardest part of all of this. Because our habits and the way we've thinked and the things we've learned start when we're very young and we're shaped by those things. That's why we have to be careful what we fill our minds with. We have to be careful with how we are allowing things into our life because they will shape the way we think. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help guard our hearts in that, to help bring conviction when we're going in areas that we don't need to, and to keep our mind focused on the right things. That's what it means to allow the Holy Spirit to regenerate our minds, to change the way we think. And I love how Paul puts it in Galatians. This is, again, one of the passages you've heard me quote a lot. But when we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to change the way we think, He also grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which help us to become more like Jesus. And, and that's where in Galatians 5, and 23, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. All of those things, when we allow the Holy Spirit to grow in our lives, when we work towards being like Jesus, when we allow God to change the way we think, our love will grow. Our joy and our peace and our patience, our kindness, our goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, even our self-control, all of those things will grow. The closer we get to God, the more the Holy Spirit fills us, the more the Holy Spirit changes the way we think. So we've got to spend time in God's Word. We've got to spend time in prayer. We have to know God's voice. We have to learn His words. That's why reading through the Gospels and the New Testament in the beginning is such a huge thing. And then as you see God from a bigger picture, the Old Testament takes on a new light and we understand it better through what God was trying to accomplish through Jesus. And so all of that shows us the character of God, which is this God that created us. And then when He created us, He hated what sin did to us. He, he hates sin because of how it changes and hurts us. So we put together a plan to come as a man, to come as Jesus, to sacrifice Himself on the cross so that we could be free from that sin that tears us apart, that, that stains us. 
and we can live with him forever in right relationship. Remember, sin entered the world through Adam, but through faith in Jesus, we've been made right with God. And we are no longer the slaves to sin, but to righteousness, to doing right, to being like Jesus. And we do this by yielding to the Holy Spirit, spending time with God in prayer, and allowing Him to change us from the inside out. Not from the outside in. We don't have to get perfect on the outside. Now we start on the inside, and what happens on the inside will slowly move throughout the rest of us. So that our interactions, the things that we say and the things that we do, will honor God. He'll help us to love others. He'll help us to be good disciple makers, drawing people towards Jesus, because that's our goal, right? Remember, we were created, our purpose is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's out of Matthew 22. And our mission is to make disciples, is to help people connect to the Creator, move them from where they are closer to Jesus. That's our job. So I want to pray over you today, and if you're really struggling with this, if you're if you're still struggling with sin, if you're still struggling with those areas, if you haven't yielded your life to Him, put your faith in Him, you can do that today. You can click the prayer button. Somebody will pray with you. But we want to take some time right now to pray over all of you and ask God to change us from the inside out, to break the hold of sin on our lives and help us to put our faith in Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you've done and I'm so thankful for what you're going to do. Help us to break free from the slavery of sin and to put our faith in you today. Give us a desire to spend time with you in prayer. Give us a desire and a hunger to read your word, to understand it. And Lord, help us to see the world around us, the people around us through your eyes with love and compassion. Help us to be good disciple makers, moving people towards you. Lord, I pray that your grace and mercy would be upon each one of us today. Lord, we want to follow you with everything that's in our hearts. Change us today, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We want to see you grow closer to Jesus. We want to see you become more like him every day. We'd also love to see you at one of our events, so make sure you look at that calendar. We'd love to see you soon. Have a great week.